This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Tuesday the 27th of April 2021. And yesterday people in Perth and Peel were presumably very relieved to discover that their lockdown lifted overnight, which is fantastic news for them. There's still pretty heavy restrictions in those areas, uh, limits on the number of people that can gather and that sort of thing. So, Norman, uh, those stay in, in place for the next four days, and that's really to just protect against the unlikely scenario that there might still be a bit of undetected spread uh, happening. Yeah, it's just prudent. Uh, it's a fairly light touch in terms of social distancing. just means no singing and dancing in the streets, really, for um, a few days until this really settles down and they track down everybody. They've got a lot of people in quarantine already, and I think they're hoping that the next positive cases will be in quarantine if they get any, rather than any surprises or mystery cases out there in the community. And so speaking of quarantine and more hotel quarantine for incoming travellers and less about people who are in quarantine because they might have been exposed, but there seems to be a little bit of a a vibe among the state premiers that they really wish that the Commonwealth would do more to support the, the hotel quarantine system at the state level. What is the ideal situation for how we manage incoming travellers? Because we do have people coming in and we've got to manage them somehow. How should we be doing it? Well, I'll give you a personal opinion, then I'll talk about that. <laughs> My personal opinion is something we've been banging on about for months now on Coronacast. Immunise Australians overseas. Um, send vaccine to the consulates and to the embassies, even if it's Astra, because people are waiting a long time to get back, and get them immunised, and that will reduce the risk of transmission. But, we, but we, we seem to be struggling to even vaccinate people here in Australia. Should we really be sending doses overseas? Yes, because the risk to Australia comes from overseas. And if you can reduce that risk, that's what you should do above all else. So what we're talking about is 30,000, 40,000 Australians overseas. We're talking about getting to a target. Well, in fact, the government's not setting targets, but when they were, it was 200,000 doses a day. So it's 25% of one day's doses overseas, and you get people immunised, and you reduce the risk. And we've got data now from the UK, at least for the Pfizer vaccine, that after the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine, you reduce the transmission risk by 70%. That's of asymptomatic infection. And after... And it's over 80% after the second dose. And that's a study of came out of the United Kingdom. So it works. And that's a very significant reduction. It's not to zero, but it would reduce the risk in hotel quarantine or might even eliminate the, eliminate the need for hotel quarantine if people could go home. Right. So vaccinating incoming Australians, prioritising that because that's where the risk comes to bring them in. But presumably we still do need to quarantine people somewhere, at least until we do that plan that you just said. Is the current system enough? Well, it's clearly got risks, and you've seen that in various jurisdictions. Not yet in Victoria with their new court, with their new system where they've engineered the hotels, but there there are risks. These are environments which are not well designed for this. You've got to have complete seals in the system between rooms so that there's no air leak between rooms, and they, you know they've tested for that. You've got to have people aggregated on the one floor. You've got to have uh, proper PPE for people on the floor so that you're you're not transmitting it to the workers who can then transmit it beyond. And you've got a, in the ideally negative pressure in each room. And But you know, research has shown that if you actually, if you get the wind changing, 
sometimes in some env- in some buildings, you could actually get the negative pressure turning to positive pressure momentarily or for a period of time. And the other ideal thing to do would be to put HEPA filters, so viral filters, in each room. But the problem with that is there's a worldwide shortage of these HEPA filters. So with all that, you could do it. The less intense way to do it is to put people in cabins where they're not sharing air with each other. And that requires army camps, mining camps, other things, Rottnest Island. Although in Rottnest Island, the um, the accommodation sounds ideal, but it's not really because people are pretty much cheap by jowl in areas like Geordie's, if you've ever been to Rottnest. Mm-hmm. I have a passing interest in Rottnest, as Coronacast <laughs> listeners know. So we've heard. But they're not separate cabins. They're actually next door to each other. So I'm not sure that Rottnest is such a great option. But that's what they're calling for. Right. So we talked a bit about cabin accommodation yesterday. And the other, the risk of travellers returning from different countries is not equal. So, so far, because we've got so few people entering and leaving Australia, we haven't really, that I know of at least, prioritise different countries in terms of uh, not allowing people to come back because of high COVID risk. But with the scale of the pandemic in India, some other countries are suspending their arrivals from India now, which, yeah, is that something that you'd see Australia doing? Well, it's it's a very difficult question, and I covered it last night to some extent on 7.30 on my story about India, is that people could die, Australians could die overseas of COVID-19 while they're waiting to get back. It's a really difficult decision. And we do have hotel quarantine, and, and this is a humanitarian issue for Australian citizens in terms of returning. And many countries are putting up a travel ban at least for the next few days or next couple of weeks. So it is a very, very difficult moral, ethical and public health issue. On the other hand, we co- probably could be risk-adjusting for other countries where the risk is extremely low. I noticed that a bubble potentially opening up between Hong Kong and Singapore. We could open up a bubble between us and Singapore quite easily because there are almost no cases in Singapore. And what we've been saying for quite some time is that Chinese students could probably be coming back in to go to university here if uh, they were still willing to do so because the risk from China is pretty low. So we're not risk adjusting at the moment and that's and that's a problem as well. So let's talk about risk because we've got people asking about the risk of getting the vaccine, the, uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine. A few people uh, around the age of 50 who are wondering what the what this magic threshold is. So Paul and Marielena are both saying, what's the go with being 49 or 50 or 51 and how you judge that risk for, of, the, of uh, these rare blood clots from AstraZeneca? It's a very sensible question and it arises whenever you draw the line. Unfortunately, in public health and medicine, you draw the line all the time. So, for example, there's a line drawn between normal blood pressure and high blood pressure. It's not quite arbitrary. It's where it's a transition point where the risk of a heart attack and stroke just it just goes up significantly. And sufficiently significantly, it's worth defining that as the threshold between normal blood pressure and high blood pressure. And the higher it goes beyond there, the more the risk. We do this all the time. You've just got to choose a point. For the diagnosis of uh, Down syndrome, prenatally, it's a, it's, a, it's a risk. If you wanted to diagnose more babies with Down syndrome, you would also have more false positives and create all sorts of problems there. So you adjust the line where you're detecting enough babies with Down syndrome prenatally and not missing them, but not over-diagnosing. We do this all the time. And that's what's happened here with the vaccine, is that they've had to draw a line. And yep, 
it, it doesn't make sense if you're 49 or 51, but it does make sense if you're 40 or 60. But the line's got to be drawn somewhere, and 50 is where you got the balance shifting towards in favour of the vaccine above 50, in favour of Pfizer below 50. And so when you're that person, so at a population level it makes a lot of sense, like you say, but if you're that person and you're weighing your risk, especially when at the moment the risk of catching COVID in Australia is very, very low, how do you make that decision? Not easy. The risk overall is low and the risk goes up fairly dramatically. So I think it's much easier when you're 40 to make that decision than it is when you're 49 or 51. But if you're feeling uncomfortable about it, you, you're, it's up to you. You can choose to hold off and hope that you get Pfizer towards the end of the year, which is presumably why the government's ordered another 20 million doses for people such as yourselves who are worried at the age of 51, well, I'm going to hang on and try and get Pfizer towards the end of the year. By the way, there's no guarantee you'll get it, but hopefully you, you will if you hang on. Me, I'm not prepared to hang on. I want to I want to get covered now just so that I've got peace of mind. But that's my decision, not yours. Actually, no. So when you mentioned that, we had Amit asking, uh, he was interested to hear that you're not eligible for the COVID vaccine because you're a doctor. Are you even a doctor, Norman? I was the last time I looked and I'm still registered, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm far from the front line when I'm doing CoronaCast every day. So um, other people stand in front of me. So just back to the risk again, Helen and Maria Elena again also asked about how do you know if you've got a, the clotting problem? Is there a test that you can do? The, the indications that you might have the clotting problem are new symptoms arising round about day four or after. So they, they tend to occur after day four towards day 15, day 20. So it's in the and, and, and from recent work that I've seen or recent reports, it's actually a bit later than day four. It's maybe one week, 10 days after you've had the vaccine. So it's not the first day or two. So that's the first thing. And it's things like headache, abdominal pain, symptoms you've just never had before. And if that's the case, you go and see your, your, your report to your doctor urgently, get in to see your doctor quickly. And yes, there are tests that can be done to see whether or not you've got the clotting problem. There is no point, by the way, in doing these tests preemptively without the symptoms. One of the test results is a low platelet count. But the thing is that the vaccine itself can cause a low platelet count. So a low platelet count by itself doesn't actually mean anything. You can get a low platelet count after an influenza immunization. You could do your blood test and have a low platelet count four days afterwards. That does not mean you're going to get the clotting problem. That could just be the vaccine causing that as a routine vaccine effect. You can get low white cells as well after an, after an immunization. You get a bit of depression of your blood system sometimes after, for momentarily after an, an immunization. It's symptoms that are high, that with a high index of suspicion that you might have clots. And then you do it and you've got signs of blood clotting on imaging like MRI scans, CAT scans, and you've got the low platelet count as well. Blood clotting with low platelets, that's when you've got it. So it's not just one test. And as always, if you're in doubt, talk to your doctor. Don't make your medical decisions solely on something you heard on a podcast. Even an excellent one such as ours. But that is all we've got time for today. If you want to ask us more questions, make more comments, um, throw brickbats about my medical degree, <laughs> just go to the website, abc.net.au slash coronacast. Go to ask your questions. Mention coronacast on the way through. Makes it easier, makes it easier for us to pick it up. And we will see you tomorrow. See you then. 